This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, the Clarets aim to bring giant killers Norwich City back down to earth with a bump. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Right, good afternoon everybody. This is Liam Allen in from the Clarets Trust. Today representing uh, the No Name Ever podcast, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by uh, a, a very good friend, ex-colleague, and Norwich City fan, Gavin Cooper. Gavin, welcome. Hello. Uh, good to see you again, buddy. Uh, we're good. Yeah, good stuff. Now today, big match. Lot to follow up on from last weekend, beating uh, beating the old Man City. Mm. What are your thoughts, and uh, what do you think? The, how do you think the game's going to go today? Well, come on, we're Norwich fans. We know that not everything follows on. Um, this is going to be a tough game. It's always a tough game. It's always a good game. We've got lots of memories here. Um, some good memories and some rubbish ones too. Um, but yeah, we can take that. We loved last week. Absolutely loved it. But it doesn't always transfer over it, you take you play what's in front of you that's it absolutely looking forward to your defence playing against Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood as I said you play what's in front of you but on, a, on our day we'll, we'll, we'll manage it we'll manage it you know uh, a, a first starting left back put uh, Raheem Sterling in his back pocket last week so it can happen absolutely and in terms of the environment you stood outside the Bridge Beer House one of the most famous away friendly fan friendly fan pubs in Burnley what's your first opinion Great, good beer, good company, good banter, good atmosphere. This is what football's all about, mate. Absolutely lovely. I just wish it could be raining, then at least the uh, the conditions would be a little bit more in Burnley's favour. But good luck for the game. Cheers, buddy. Nice one. It's Liam Allen in this post-match conference. I'm just trudging my way up Brunchy Yard. Very pleased with them three points. I think we've started off amazing. We completely snuffed Norwich out. We knew about all their tippy-tappy play. We got on top of them all together. Um, I can't really say a bad word about any of the Burnley players. I think everybody put a little bit of a part in, some less than others, but 
I'm just that happy that we got three points because I thought we were going to come up against the cropper against these these uh, Norwich City players. They've been playing really well, especially after that um, amazing result last weekend. Everybody seems to be very happy walking down uh, Ormrod Yard now, and um, I'm very happy too. Well played, Sean Dyche. Well played, everybody. Uh, well played, Chris Wood. Chris Wood, I'm so pleased you got on the team sheet. We just snuffed you out. Pookie didn't have a chance. Pookie didn't have a chance. We have him every way up. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by a very close friend of mine and an ex-colleague, Andy Warnes, who's a Norwich fan. We've just completed the game, Burnley versus Norwich. Burnley won 2-0. Um, convincing win, in my opinion, but Andy... What did you think? What do you think of the team selection, first of all? And what we what your anticipation? And then what's your view of the overall game? Good question. Um, team selection, we were a little bit hamstrung today with the team selection because we still had a number of injuries. That said, it was the same starting 11 that beat Man City last week. So no complaints from a starting 11 perspective. Um, overall, I think... I think I... I, I, I Sadly, I have to agree with you. It was a convincing win in the end. You did your work in the first 20 minutes. Um, your two centre-halves were outstanding. Game over, wasn't it, really? We, were, we weren't really at the races. Yeah. Any, any other opinions? I mean, I have to admit with you that, that Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky did keep uh, Pookie quiet, quiet for a change, which is uh, really encouraging. But any other opinions about the rest of the play? So, I thought Chris would... Uh, when I turned up today, I thought that your two centre-forwards were always going to be the danger for us. We haven't really encountered two big boys up front so far this season. And the, 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 the proof was there, right? They, 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 they were true, true to exactly what I expected. Uh, I thought Wood was outstanding. Ashley Barnes was exactly what I expected. Um, but... Uh, it's not, and I'm not going to make excuses because I thought Burnley were the better side overall. But we we've still got what we had one centre half today, right? Yeah. We had we had a central midfielder playing yeah. centre half, and the rest of it was we, we were poor. We were overall we were poor. I think yeah, we, you cut the supply off to Pookie very well. Yeah. Your tactics were spot on, and, and your two centre halves were, as I said before, they were um, they were good, outstanding. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a fair analysis, if you don't mind me saying. Um, anyway, all I'll say is that thanks for coming. Um, I think you'll do better than you'll do worse this season and good luck for the rest of the season, mate. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome back to the No Near Never podcast. I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week to analyse that fantastic victory at home to Norwich City are Robbie Kopak and Liam Hallinan. Gentlemen, welcome. Good evening. Good evening. Good to have you both on. We've not really spoken to you both since the beginning of the season. We've got too many panellists this year. It goes too long before I have the chaos that's Robbie Kopak. Um, Robbie, it's been a while since we spoke to you. Are you are you staying any more adventurous? Are you getting yourself into bother or are you, are you, are you behaving yourself? Uh, if you've kept an eye on my Twitter feed recently, I've had a bit of a argument with a certain Burnley fan. Oh, God. Well, uh, I, I it, tend to avoid it, 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 your Twitter. <laughs> There's a certain Facebook Burnley group, which many Burnley fans be aware of, which rattles my cage a lot of the time. 
So I had to take a little bite. Yeah, you do. You do go fishing a lot, Robbie. That's, that's why we try, and, we try and distance ourselves at Team None from your personal Twitter account. We just let you go off and do it. Um, Liam, you've been all over the place at the moment, home and away. Um, you quite happy with how things are going for Burnley's perspective at the moment? Yeah, I think we've had a, a bit of up and down. Um, I think... All in all, if you look at the Wolves result and the Brighton result, it probably balanced each other out. We should have taken three points at Wolves and Brighton should have killed us off. Um, but I've enjoyed getting around there and speaking to some home and away fans. It's been fun. What's the general view from away fans about how we're going to do this season? I, I tend to ask this question of opposition fans when we do the preview show and they all seem to fall into this default, oh yeah, Burnley going to struggle this season, it's going to be the season that we go down and then I don't really understand where they're coming from with that. No, I'm not getting that. I mean, two in particular were Brighton and, and Norwich, where I've either been invited to or invited some guests um, guests up to join us. Um, both have said either either or. We know know of a way to finish a match and grind it out, even though we might not kill it off. Um, and we now to play we now to play teams in in sort of this half or this three quarters of the of the league. So. So far, I've seen nothing but respect. That is uh, otherwise on social media where we seem to get pelters all the time. Yeah, I, I've, I think I've got to the stage this season and, and it's funny listening to Robbie talking about the little spats he gets into on Twitter, which, like I said, I tend to avoid. There's a bit of a weird... Well, the internet's a weird place anyway, but I tend to avoid opposition fans on Twitter now. There seems to be a pocket of really great, particularly on Twitter, really great away fans who we've all known for a long time. I think a lot of us. In fact, do you remember back in the days when we used to do the Twitter 92? So you used to collect um, an away fan on your Twitter followers from every single club. And there's been a lot of us who've been connected for, gosh, years and years. Um, But on the whole, I avoid them. I think, well, actually, this this may be one for a talking point for another episode, actually. Thankfully, thank goodness... Um, the days of football hooliganism are long gone in the UK, and that you don't, you just don't see the trouble on the terraces that we saw in the seventies through to the nineties, and the awful scenes after the game. But football still does have this way of waking that um, not nastiness, but it's very emotive, and it just gets people wound up. And I do feel like the modern equivalent of football hooliganism is via Twitter. You see it every week when teams get beaten, they'll jump on social media and they'll just pick a fight, a, a keyboard fight. And, and yeah, it, it's very, very strange. Um, but never mind, let's talk about that another week. Um, let's otherwise talk about an absolutely fantastic weekend for Burnley at home against Norwich. And Robbie, we brought Norwich back down to earth with a bump, did we not? Yeah, it was a terrific performance. Um, Norwich sort of reminded me like Burnley last season when we, if you remember when we beat Spurs at home last season, 2-1, we, I think we played Newcastle like three or four days later in like a six-pointer away from home and we just did not turn up. And Norwich were a bit like that. It was like a, they just failed to reach that, those levels, which they reached against Man City. Um, but I've got to say we were just on it. Like, yeah, the first half an hour or so, great intensity. You know, we all played as a unit. You could see our game plan straight away, and we just unsettled them. And obviously, scoring two quick goals obviously helped us just settle into the game. And then after that, like we, it's very, it'd be very rare for us to throw away a two-goal lead um, at home against Norwich. Yeah, it really would. I mean. 
against some of the better sides in the Premier League, two nil, two goal lead is not usually enough. But certainly when you're at home and you're facing one of the bottom half of the tables and the newly promoted sides who perhaps displaying a little bit of naivety for the league, then you certainly wouldn't have expected us to to lose that. Um, Liam, one thing that struck me at the weekend was the universal praise um, scattered across the national media for Burnley's performance, and especially coming out of the Norwich press as well. I'm going to read through just some of the comments that I read at the weekend, and I, I'm yet to find an, an article that is horrible to us. Um, Burnley were much improved from the Brighton game. We we displayed ferocious high pressing. There was a collective urgency to win. Norwich was scared to play Burnley. And then this, I love this one. One said, like tourists wandering into the wrong part of town, Norwich walked into the traps that Burnley set, the ones that the more streetwise know to avoid. Um, and I think that's true, isn't it, Liam? It's like we we just weren't phased by the fact that, uh, that Norwich had beaten City last week. And we just got our game. We, we'd set the trap for them, let them fall into it. And I think we very much displayed some um, experience of Premier League and just how brutal it can be. That last quote really cracks me up, Natalie, to be honest with you. Um, It's funny because I was thinking sort of exactly the same. There were a lot of hyperbole about how uh, Norwich play the ball on the floor and play it out from the back, etc., especially in the um, post-last weekend analysis against City. I just had it in my mind, and uh, I think a, a few of the Norwich fans that came over did, um, that, that we were going to close them down really quickly. And I kind of expected it, to be fair, and and that's what we did. And it was really encouraging to see that you saw that immediate pressing from from uh, Wooden Barnes running straight into the penalty area as soon as their goalkeeper, uh, Cruel, got the ball. They weren't able to play it out, and then they got into all sorts of trouble. As for the press... Um, Everybody that I spoke to had nothing but high praises for Burnley. Um, we get the times delivered on a Sunday and they never have anything to say nice about Burnley. Um, it's almost through gritted teeth. And uh, the colleague that came up from, from Norwich to uh, to watch the match read the uh, write-up with me and he said that was all wrong. He said they were saying how bad Norwich were and he said to me it was how good Burnley were. And I thought that was encouraging. Yeah, it definitely was. And it's, it's nice to see Burnley really do their homework and execute a game plan as effectively as they did. Um, Now, Robbie, you know, despite that, it could have been quite a different game. Um, Puki, now, please tell me that's how you pronounce it. It is Puki, isn't it? Am I saying that right? Yeah, it is Puki, yeah. Good. Players' names are always ones that worry me on the podcast and I always think like I'm going to massively offend somebody by saying something wrong. Now, obviously, he had a really early chance that, that... um, needed a very, very good save from Nick Pope to keep that out of there. And I think, obviously, if they then go 1-0 up, it, it changes the game. Well, you know, we're already behind and we have to, to change our game plan. But also, of course, Leitner, Leitner, he hit the bar that would have been 2-1, I think, which also changes the game. But I think, Robbie, even despite their chances that they could have put away to change the dynamic and the feel, we still stayed very resolute, didn't we? And we didn't panic, which I think maybe we've been guilty of at times. Yeah, I can't think of another opportunity or really an opening where Norwich could have like 
uh, engineered anything. Um, like you, you could say that both the, the two chances which Norwich had, which you just mentioned there, were from Burnley mistakes. Obviously, Tchaikovsky was caught in possession. Uh, so Pope comes to the rescue, and then the second one where they hit the post, I just think we're just a little bit slow in closing the ball down. Um, but other than that, I thought, yeah, we we were on it, and we second half we were we didn't give them a sniff. We just saw the game out really professionally. Um, I thought the second half it almost felt like a pre-season game in terms of how comfortable we were. They are Norwich were just happy, just trying to engineer things by passing it sideways, and you know what Burnley are like. We're happy off the ball, and we can just like stay in the shape and stay well organized. Yeah, definitely. Well, Liam, the the man of the hour, the guy who orchestrated this fantastic um, win was, of course, Chris Wood. Now, hilariously, um, Chris Wood has come under quite a lot of criticism recently. Um, and when the team was announced before the game, <laughs> a lot of people on social media were um, expressing frustration that Chris Wood had not been dropped because apparently he's been awful um, in the early start of the season and which of course he then goes and bags a brace and and, and shows a really good performance now I've not been calling for him to be dropped predominantly because I've been really impressed by his play off the ball and I think our um improved um well I, I guess I improved goal tally and then certainly the chances that were creating have very much been orchestrated by Chris Wood Liam where were you before the game? Did you feel that his performances before in the first five games warranted a change or were you happy to see him on the team sheet? I was uh, completely happy to see him on the team sheet. I've not been one of the detractors. I've watched some of the matches and I've kind of watched it from a, an intensive fan's point of view and then from an observer's point of view. And if you're an intensive fan, you're thinking Chris Woody was one of the key goal scorers last season. Why is he not getting on to the end of these and cracking these in the back of the net? He's had a few missed chances. But equally, he's been holding the ball up. He's been getting into uh, into other positions, making play for, for other players. I think he's been uh, absolutely as much of part of the team, of the striking partnership as what Ashley Barnes has been. And, and technically, you've seen Barnsley come on in leaps and bounds in the last few seasons and no more to, no more to say that in this season. So, yeah, I was very pleased that he was on the team sheet. And I were even more pleased that he, uh, he he got a brace of goals in, within the first 15 minutes and shut some of those detractors up. Yeah, I mean, I'm always a little bit careful with uh, sort of going, ah, I told you so to people and that almost gloating because football is a very subjective game and every fan has got their own opinion on players, tactics, form, manager performances and some of them hold up, some of them don't. I had, um, I tried to be overly funny on Twitter, which I really should avoid doing because I'm not that funny a person and it always comes in my face. So I tweeted during the game when he scored his second, I think I tweeted, geez, drop Chris Wood already, which obviously didn't come across like that when it was written down. And the people who were reading it at the time got the humour um, but then after the game, I had loads of people tweeting me thinking that I was one of the ones that were saying drop Chris Wood and like, ah, in your face. And I was like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. So anyway, but so I think I agree with you, Liam, in that I, I sit in your camp of, well, actually, he's done really well and I'm not calling for him to be dropped. Um, and I don't like this idea of the doubters because everybody who were calling for him to be dropped have got their own view on what will work better and what won't and everybody's position sorry everybody's um, opinion is valid but I just for me I, I don't like the 
danger of us getting knee-jerk, especially now we have competition for places, which sounds like a bit of a paradox in itself, really. You know, at one point we're saying we want there to be competition in all the places so that the players will perform better because they know they're going to get dropped if they don't. But at the same time, we're also saying, but we don't want them to be knee-jerk drops just because they've had one bad game. So, yeah, I'm not really sure where I sit with that at the moment. But that said, Robbie, um, now we have got Wood off the mark and he's doing things to create chances off the ball. And Barnes is the man of the hour because he's had a fantastic start to the season. Both Jay and Vidra have come on and really pushed them on when they've joined the pack. Do you think we've now genuinely got competition up front that we've probably not had for quite some time? Yeah, I think so. Um Obviously, Vidra and Jay offer something a little bit different. Jay's can, is almost like Barnes and Wood in the way where he can sort of is quite strong in the air as well as been a little bit more mobile as well. So, but yeah, I, th- I think obviously Jay can also play across anywhere across like that three. Can also play out wide and stuff. So he adds like a bit of versatility, and Vidra can play in at number ten. So we got like a really good blend and a good mixture. I think. Um, so if we're ever chasing a game, we've got you know, the target men, we've got a bit mobile and it's, yeah, it's really good. And, and it's finally we have options. I think this is the first time where you can actually look at a bench, which, which we have it, especially in, in the Premier League and go, that's a really strong bench. It's like we brought Robbie Brady on, like we haven't seen Robbie Brady properly for the best part of like six, 12 months. And he costs us like 12 million pounds. And so I have like a 12 million pound player on the bench for us. Like it's, speaks volumes. Yeah, it really does. I was quite interested, actually, to read one um, comment from one Norwich newspaper that said, where was it? Hang on, bear with me. I've got it on my notes here. Oh, yes, this is it. And they picked up on this very same point, Robin. They were saying that um, there is an injury crisis at Norwich. And, of course, their captain, Tetley, went, Tete, Tetley? Tetley T. Tetley, I think it is. Yeah, (laughs) <laughs> not technically Teddy. Um, he went off as well, I think, quite early on with an injury as well, which also they are saying influenced the game as well. But one of the, the things that this press report said is that uh, essentially the financial rewards for sustained top flight longevity were very evident in the depth of resource on the Burnley bench, which I found absolutely hilarious, given that we're always complaining that we don't have, (laughs) we've not spent enough and we've not got a big enough squad. But the fact that Norwich, who've probably got more money than us in reserve, um, are already looking at our bench and our experience and saying that's what four seasons in the Premier League does for you. And that's what we should be aiming for. I think by the time um, Teti went off or, or one of their injuries, they only had one player on the bench who'd had previous Premier League experience. So I think out of all of their subs, all but one had never played a minute of, of Premier League football, which is crazy. Um, Liam, back to you. Um, I think Deitch was very pleased with how we played, apart from a couple of things that we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. But one of the things that he did touch on without overly criticising was how, once again, we could have had the game wrapped up and scored four or five in that first half. There seems to be a... And this isn't a criticism, I would I would add. I'm quite happy with this. Um, but we always seem to score the right amount of goals that are needed to win. And then it's job done and... We just see out the rest of the game. Now, 
would you like to see us be more ruthless and really kill games off? And of course, we're looking at a weekend where City did just that and, and thumped poor Watford 8-0. I think they were annoyed. I think, we, I think Norwich went and made Pepside angry. Um, or actually, are you, do you like this very efficient way that we get the job done? I think it's a good observation. Um, maybe Sean Dyche is talking it up a little bit, where sometimes he talks it down a little bit. Um, we won 2-0. We've got three points on the board at home against a team that we should have got three points against, really, when you think about it on paper. To your point about them having um, uh, Premier League time on the bench, well, unless you're a team that comes up and spends an absolute fortune, you're going to have to build on that, aren't you? Like like what the Clarets did starting out. I mean, we were fortunate enough to be able to to buy players like Robbie Brady, who at the time had little or none. I can't remember if he had any Premier League experience in his in his packet from uh, if he'd played there with Norwich before. In terms of the question that you asked me directly, um, we had a couple of chances that you would have thought that on another day we would have put away that beautiful volley from Barnes in the first half that there was an amazing block to knock it out for a corner and a couple of other chances uh, for Wood. Yeah, we could have been four or five nil up and and everybody would have been singing the praises, but that would have probably left us in in a kind of false sense of security of Norwich have beaten uh, Man City and we've beaten them, you know, five nil. It's not right. I think I, I think I'm comfortable with the fact that we can have our team give us a decent performance, a solid performance, um, looking very good in attack in the first half and completely absorbing it with a brilliantly organised defence in the second half and just seeing the game out 2-0, clean sheet, happy days. Yeah, I think I probably agree with you there, Liam. I think that's definitely where I come down on. I guess I understand the other side of the argument in that football is an entertainment game and there are very few opportunities in the Premier League to put forward a convincing drubbing of another side it happens all the time in the championship but in the Premier League most times you are winning by one or two goals and it's they're usually very tight games and I get it when people say they just love us to see us really I don't think have we ever had yeah, we must have had we must have had like four nils or sort of scored four goals I'll, I'll ask Dave on the on the previous show at the weekend but certainly I, I understand the need for um that it's almost egotistical, isn't it? It's that idea that my team can can really um, dominate another Premier League side and, and really make their mark. And of course, the other side of the not the other side, sorry, the the other argument is that we are stereotyped as being this direct, boring. We only ever win one nil kind of game, and if we put on a, a fluid performance where we we stuff the team and put loads of goals past them, then it might just help neutralise some of those bias. Um, Robbie, next up, we had a change at the weekend. Um, young Hendrick kept his place, um, following the Brighton um, screamer of a goal, and actually um, displaced Aaron Lennon uh, and played. How did you think he did overall? I thought Jeff Hendrick was terrific. Um, I thought he was very close to mine in a match alongside Chris Wood. Um, I, I just think him and Lawton just complement each other really nicely on that right-hand side. Um, I, I don't know if you agree, but I, I, it's, it's weird to say this. Like Obviously, all Dykes players are very, very fit, but I just, I just think Jeff Hendrick looks even fitter. 
Um, I just think he looks more agile. He looks more energetic and a lot busier. What, is this from last season or? Yeah, just probably. Since... Is that from this season or? Yeah, he just looks Go on. fitter, um, just like more like energetic and a little bit more busy. Maybe that's just because, probably because he's playing in a different position. But he just looks more agile. He just, and it's nice to see that he's, he, it seems it seems like Burnley he's finally won Burnley fans over. Um, maybe it was the it it just seemed to have like a really positive effects like when he went off in I think I think he went off injured on Saturday. But I I just think mm. we have a really good balance when he plays as well. Like I just think it allows Dwight Dwight McNeil on the other side to play closer to Wooden Barnes too. Yeah, it's it's it, this is going to de- continue dividing opinion. Um, I'm not entirely sure he's won over all the fans yet. He's, he's won me over. I think I, I wrote this in my column last week. Actually, I think um, my Lancashire Telegraph column. I think I it's always perplexed me as the as the Hendrick situation in that you would think that a player who has sacrificed holding down a permanent slot in the team to be that. Um, reliable substitute, the guy that will cover all the positions, a guy that will play a number 10 role and get stick off the fans. You think that he would be applauded and not hated for it. And I, I find the whole Hendrick situation bizarre. So it was nice to see him have a, a good performance on Saturday and to enjoy um, a, a spike in, in confidence, shall we say. Um Liam, similar vein, but um, in defence rather than uh, an attacking player. Peters is also dividing opinion among some fans. Some people are calling for Charlie Taylor to come back ASAP. Some people are saying that he's doing fine. How how did he, how did Peters do for you in the end? Well, I did a sneaky tweet um, without any hashtags just before the match. Um, questioning whether whether Taylor should be in for Peters, uh, and only one person replied saying, "Please make it so." Um, I've been questionable about the opinion that Charlie Taylor should come in from Peters. I don't think Peters has had a shocking a shocking time. He's made two mistakes, one that led to a goal, at, one led to a goal at Arsenal. Um, but I think, generally speaking, you, you've got all round. You've got to admire the performances that he's put in. When you look at the two. Two, two crosses that he put in for the goals against Southampton. And I think he fought hard on Saturday. I thought he did well. And I don't think he deserves he deserves a stick. I'm not for one minute suggesting that Charlie Taylor um, wouldn't have put a better performance in or isn't a better player. But only until we see Charlie Taylor this season on that wing coming forward um, will, will we be able to really make a, a view of that. Yes, he was, um, he was a star last season played really well for us but I'm not knocking Peters I thought he did really well good good to hear I think I'm ooh, I'm torn really because I'm uh, probably similar to you Liam I'm a big fan of Charlie Taylor I thought he ended last season in spectacular form and gave me a bit of a headache in terms of choosing my player of the season to be honest and I but and I really like the way that um Taylor links up with McNeil on that left side. So I am missing that. I am missing that creativity between the two of them. That's probably my strongest argument for bringing Taylor back into the squad. But this is the Dutch way. And, and how can you, we wanted competition. How can you drop players when they're playing consistently well? Um, there are obviously a couple of talking points in the game, um, controversy surrounding our friend VAR, which we're going to look at in the second half of this show. So, Let's leave this week, um, starting with you, Robbie, man of the match. Uh, just yeah, I'm gonna go with Chris Wood. Uh, just as like, as, as an extra confidence boost. Good, good, Liam. Who was yours? 
I'll have to go with what Robbie mentioned in his uh, his little preamble. I think it was uh, it was old Jeffy Boyd, Jeff Hendrick, for me. Excellent. Well, mine was also Chris Wood. So two for Chris Wood. He takes the non never teams uh, man of the match, um, and that's I guess that's that's uh, the end of this week's analysis. Uh, generally speaking, from the Norwich game, did you? miss anything did you think that we covered something that you wanted to see more of or was there a talking point um that you want to um want us to explore in, in better quality in in well i say not better quality in greater depth i'm going to go with instead in future episodes then you know how to get older was tweet us at no nay never or drop us an email on podcast at no nay never dot net So this week's second half of the show and the talking point is unfortunately back to our friend VAR. I was hoping this season that we were going to be able to um, be diverse with our talking points. But unfortunately, whilst VAR remains in its infancy and we do have controversies at games, then we are stuck at having to debate them. And this week, especially, not just during Burnley's game with Norwich, but across the Premier League generally, VAR played a starring role and did throw up a few controversies. Now, essentially, (laughs) the problem is, is that we have gone from arguing about bad decisions that referees have made during the games and instead we are just debating bad VAR decisions. And the IFAB... Please don't ask me who that stands for because I have forgotten already. Um, They have come out this week and said that... Oh, actually, I've got it here. International Football Association Board. Um, They have come out this week and said that fans need to bear in mind that it's going to take 10 years for fans to fully understand how VAR works, which is kind of horrifying. Now... Before we go on to talk about the specific talking points from the weekend, let us have a quick reminder, um, as if we needed it, as to what the rules for VAR are this season. VAR is going to look at four different things. Can't think of a better word for that. Four different categories. Number one, goals. Now, they will. the VAR will have the ability to overrule a goal, whether it's either been offside or or whether there's been any other infringement. And they give the example of shirt pulling, for example. Penalties that they will review, um, and they will either give a penalty or they will uh, overrule a penalty where there has been, the buzzword, a clear and obvious error. The third category is straight reds. They will either determine that there there should be a straight red or they'll overturn a referee's decision um, if they disagree and they're on the review. And then the fourth category is mistaken identity. Now, why is this controversial? Mainly because two of those are objective. They are black and white. You are either offside or you're not offside. And irrespective of the frustration with, well, his his toe was a millimetre offside and this is ridiculous, it's killing the game. Offside is offside. You either are or you aren't. And the same technology is being... Um, applied across all of the games. We do at least have some consistency, which is what we were all crying for. Mistaken identity is also black and white. He's either booked the wrong player or he hasn't. So they are easy. And I think most people have got comfortable with that. 
the debating point which is causing us problems week after week is penalties and straight reds. And it's this particularly, this bar that's been set of it being a clear and obvious error. Now, Robbie, let's start with you. We have played now six Premier League games and in 60, so 60, 60 Premier League games, not once has a VAR official overruled a Premier League referee's decision on the basis that they have set a very, very high bar for clear and obvious errors. Bearing in mind the Barnes penalty on Saturday, how are you feeling about this category of clear and obvious error and this inability that VAR officials seem to have to overrule match officials? Yeah, I, I, just, I don't know where I stand on it. I really don't because to me, I've, even when I was live in the stadium, the Barnes one was clear and obvious. Like I was sitting in Jimmy McUpper. It was clear, like clearly contact. And it was almost a goal-scoring opportunity. If he skips past the defender untouched, he's going to get shot away. So there's absolutely no need for him to either exaggerate contacts or even go down. So for me, it was like a stonewall penalty. And for like VAR, not even to like look at it, it just seemed baffling to me. And I really don't like this this um, black and white rule. I, I'm, 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 I sound like an old man, but I really don't like it. It's ruining the game. <laughs> Right, well, let me just pick up on that because there's two things here. Number one, VAR did look at it because they look at every single incident, but they it didn't stop the game for the VAR review because they only do that and you only get it up on the screen when um, the game's been stopped. So let's say he'd given the penalty then they, or there's a goal given, then they'll, they'll pause the game and they'll put it on the, the screen. So they did look at it. I'd say throughout the game, there's constant VAR reviews taking place. So he the VAR did, over, did, did look at it, but they did not deem there to be a clear and obvious error um by the referee they upheld the referee's decision that it wasn't a penalty so i just want to just correct that there just to make sure that you are clear that there is this difference in in um well it is it is reviewed but it's this it's this idea that referees are not being corrected which is what var was to put in was put in to do and secondly i just want to pick up when you say you're not happy about this black and white rule what what are you referring to there? Because because to me the black and white rule is just the offsides or the mistaken identities. The problem is is that we don't have a black and white rule for penal for penalties and straight reds. So we just clarify that. Which way are you coming down on this? Yeah, sorry. So if like to me, as I sort of said it before, um, you in if 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 there's contact in the box, you're either touched or you're not. So I think he always has to be the same with offsides, but at the same time, it's sort of like players can exaggerate a fall and stuff like that. So it's a really difficult one. But to me, it's got to be the same across the board. So if it is going to be your offside, your your onside or not, it's going to have to be the same with like like fouls in the box and all that kind of thing. But Liam, let's move on to you with this one. Obviously, Robbie's got very clear views of his, of his, certainly of his frustration with this. But... The problem is, isn't there, with with the penalty decision and this clear and obvious error, that it, it's down to a matter of opinion. And, and I guess we know ourselves as fans. You can have ten of you in a pub watching a game, and there'll be a pen, penalty incident, and six of you will say that's never a penalty, and four will say it's absolute nailed on penalty. Now, obviously, you expect a, a greater level of consistency and application of the rules to the professionals who are paid to. 
and be experts at what amounts to a penalty and what doesn't. But I think my problem that I'm trying to drill down on with this is this idea that, yes, there is a subjective decision by a referee. He might have a funny angle. He only gets to look at it once. If he makes a decision and says, that's not a penalty for me, the whole point of VAR was that they can then look at that again and say, oh, no, yeah, well, we've looked at a different angle and actually it is a penalty. But they're just not doing that. And we've had, I mean, I think it was even the, the, the referees, um, I think Mike Riley came out. Mike Riley, is that the right name? Um, he came out and, and, and said that VAR actually made four mistakes in the first four matches. That's the frustrating thing, isn't it, for me, that that this tool that's been brought in to correct these mistakes isn't being used. Yeah, I would agree. Um, at the start of the season, it was something that I was very much for because I do listen to our manager post-match and I think that, uh, that he's quite right on occasion when uh, when he talks about decisions that go against us and you expect him to uh, to even out over the season. But it's, it's being applied so inconsistently. Um, take offsides, for example, and I know this is as much as it is about VAR, as it is about the ruling of offside that obviously has changed and, and somebody that's wearing a size 12 boot versus somebody that's wearing a size 10 boot could be offside when they're practically in practically in line. I think there needs to be some practicality and some, uh, uh, and, and some uh, pragmaticness put, uh, put to uh, practice there. But what I would say is clear and obvious error out of your 10 people that were watching the Barnes penalty um, decision in the pub, I think there would be more than six that say that it it, uh, it was a penalty. It'd probably be more about nine that say it was a penalty. And therefore, anybody that's watching that, like Ref Watch on Sky Sports on a Monday, that would come back as that's definitely a penalty all day long, every day of the week. That's that's what worries me about it. And the other thing is, yeah. the handballs. Why are decisions that are clearly handballs in penalties in other matches, not just Burnley matches, uh, where they they quite clearly handballs? They're they're not being called, and other ones where the player's trying to keep his hands to one side, but he just happens to have got his arm in the way whilst he's manoeuvring his body. Why is that handball um, under a VAR review? Yeah, well, let's put handball to one side for now because I'm going to come on to that next. That's a really good point. Um, I think you've actually illustrated the point that I was trying to make perfectly there. Uh, when I was talking about the the 10 people in the pub, I actually wasn't talking about Ashley's. Um, I was just talking about the, the idea that there's a difference of opinion. So you're just watching any generic penalty appeal and you probably get that kind of split. But yes, Liam, you're absolutely right. You put 10 people watching that Barnes penalty and I would argue that nine or ten would say that's an absolute penalty so it and every single media person the managers came out everybody in who analyzing it match of the day all the sky channels everybody said oh my god that's a penalty he's been absolutely robbed so how in the world does the person who sat there with the VAR channel not said that's a penalty I'm going to overrule you um and Liam just like I said just, just hold on to the the, the handball points I'll come on to that next Liam do you not think well the problem we've got is that the VAR officials are clearly not wanting to overrule refereeing decisions because it's impossibly high bar that, quite frankly, is practically in space. Um, so they don't want to undermine match officials. But then equally, they have the ability to send to alert the referee and the referee can go pitch side and review the penalty appeal 
on the screen. So he has the ability to make that decision himself, but they are not using that tool because of the fear that it's going to slow the game down and frustrate the fans. For you, Liam, sat at that game on Saturday, as Robbie said, the whole ground can see that Barnes penalty was a penalty. Would you have been in any way bothered if the referee had gone and taken 60 seconds to two minutes to go and review that and actually make a decision and make sure he's right? Because I wouldn't. Not one bit. Uh, and and to your point, um, you took the words out of my mouth. It's almost as though we're still in the same position as we were before VAR, but we've got this technology to support the ability to get to the correct decision because the fear of introducing technology before we did so was that it it, uh, it it takes the control away from the referee, it overrules the referee, it undermines the referee. And it's it's a complete nonsense. Everybody that's for it says it's there to support the referee. Well, why not support him? Let's get that little screen um, at the side of the uh, at the side of the dugout. Let him go and have a look at that. You know, nine times out of ten, he might say, "No, I'm happy with my decision." But that one time out of ten, when it when it should have been a goal or it should have been a penalty or a sending off, whichever way it goes, then I think it's worth using. The other thing that bugs me a little bit is the inconsistency how it's used across different football governing bodies. But I suppose that's a discussion for another another time. Yeah, I certainly don't think this will be the last time we talk about VAR this season. Um, Robbie, obviously, it's just, well, it's not clearing up the, the talking points that, that we thought it was going to do at the beginning of the season. Maybe this is down to us. Maybe, maybe this idea that football is a water cooler discussion. You know, the fact that you can go in and debate these hotly contested points with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family. Maybe we're just, we're just finding these. Do you think that's maybe the case? We're finding these things so we can uh, we can find something to talk about. Um, Liam mentioned, Robbie, that um, the, the handball one is another one of his bugbears. And again, this is one of the ones that's problematic because it's subjective and a referee has to decide whether it was handball or not. We were told at the beginning of the season that the handball rule had changed, that there was a handball offence would be given whether it was intentional or not. So the idea that you had to intend to move your arm to the ball um, has gone. Um, and if your body's been, if you've made your body bigger by the movement of your arms or if there is in an unnatural position or if, oh God, there's all sorts of rules and I, I haven't got them to hand, but it's, it's very convoluted now is the handball rule. And then you look at the Arsenal game against Villa and Socrates just gives one of the most blatant handballs that I've ever seen, which applied before the new rules came in, definitely apply with the new rules. Referee doesn't give it and then VAR backs it up again. And and you can see why Liam's pulling his hair out with these, can't you, Robbie? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it just seems really unfair to me that you can gone closed out or a winger can sort of aim for arms now just to try and win a penalty or whatever um you you can go and close down your winger and you have your arms behind your back like a lot of Burnley defenders do for instance and they could be penalized for it for sort of doing their job and being safe but now it's like you can be penalized over something that's not really your fault true but i think I guess there's two things that we have to look at, though, with this. And, and yeah, you, you're quite rightly saying there that you don't like the new rules about handball. So that's one point. The new rules are, are rubbish. But it's really frustrating to see Arsenal yet again. <laughs> We're back in the old world of Arsenal being absolutely lucky, so lucky in getting decisions their way. They 
they committed handball in the box. So whether it's the new rules or the old rules, they committed handball in the box. Should have been a penalty to Villa, which would have given them a point they may desperately need at the end of the season. Referee misses it. It's a mistake. Most people are saying that that's as blatant a penalty as Ashley Barnes's was. And it goes to VAR. They look at it and they don't they don't overrule it. That's the point I'm making. Again, regardless of whether you like the rules on, on handball, VAR's not stepping up. So what... Robbie, what do they have to do to help these subjective problems? Yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, I, I just... Like, to me, it's like, say, if it hits the arm, stick to the rule. If it's going to be... If, if your rule is if it's going to hit your arm, then you get pulled up for it. So that that should basically be the rule, like, moving forward. I don't like it, but that's what they, that's what they said it was going to be, and they should have stuck to that. Yeah. Go on, Liam. I think you're yeah, so, desperate to come as in. As you know, I'm a member of the Clarets Trust board, and part of that, I also represent the Clarets Trust and Burnley supporters on the uh, uh, on the um, National Supporters Association. Um, one of the opportunities that we got there was to have a presentation via the Premier League on VAR, how it's going to be implemented, etc. And they were quite clear about the principles that they were going to implement it on, which you've already already covered, Natalie. But they were also quite clear that they were going to be aiming to be consistent, aiming to be uh, make sure that communication was key at all times to make sure that all fans knew exactly what was going on and to make sure that the referee was uh, in communication with VAR Central um, uh, at all times. To me, I think that since the start of the season, where we saw quite a few... Um, quite a few decisions go to VAR, even even against um, Southampton. It was quite exciting, weren't it? At one point, seeing looking up at the board and seeing VAR VAR in progress for a red card decision, etc. That that didn't happen. But I think that the Premier League and the Referees Association and and the the rules makers need to revisit and just just check on themselves, check on themselves how they've implemented it and how, how they're monitoring it. One good thing about implementing a process in, in any business is to make sure that you continually monitor and continually improve what you're doing. And I think that that's what they need to do. They just need to revisit and say, are we sticking to the same principles that we intended to? Are we meeting the metrics, if we set any metrics, that, that, we, that we should have met? This must be hugely frustrating for you then, Liam, to have sat in those meetings and watched that presentation that has set out clearly all the positives and the, the good changes that VAR are going to make to the decision-making process in the game. And to see them week after week not being used, that must be you must be tearing your hair out. The shrug emoticon cannot come out too often, I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, has there been any suggestion that they are going to update you? Has there has been any updates following? Because it's getting to the point now, six games in, there are already very loud criticisms about the shortcomings of VAR and the mistakes that are being made. Is there any suggestion that you will get an update on this? And if so, will you let us know? I will certainly let you know. There's a meeting. Uh, there's a meeting towards the uh, second half of October with the uh, with the FSA, and we'll certainly be we submitting our points for review with the Premier League with regards to all topics, not just VAR, but, you know, everything to, to do with ref, uh, fixture, rescheduling and all that kind of stuff that we've discussed around before. Excellent. Well, can I put a request in, please, on behalf of Team None and Ever to say, can we, can our feedback please be that this definition of clear and obvious error is Absolutely. rubbish? And I think so. The only other thing then I want to... Um, 
touch upon on, on VAR is um, a lot of people were frustrated by the lack of VAR review, that included for the um, second yellow for Amadou, was it? Yes, it was. So Amadou had been booked for a challenge on Dwight McNeil and then towards the end of the game did a shocking challenge on Jay Rodriguez, which was absolutely a second yellow. Referee bottled it, didn't give him a, and he didn't get a red card. Um and a lot of people were questioning, well, where's VAR for that? Just to be clear, VAR cannot look at second yellow cards decisions. It cannot alert a referee to the fact that they've missed a yellow card and should have sent the player off. It cannot uh, reverse a second yellow that results in a red, even if it's completely wrong, unless it's a case of mistaken identity. So unfortunately, that one's da- back down to the good old fashioned uh, referee and error, I'm afraid. Um, and actually similar, again, the Arsenal-Villa game mirrored ours in respect of penalties and and, and second yellows. I think uh, Mait- Maitland-Niles, is that how you pronounce it? Niles-Giles? I can't read my own writing, listeners. I'm really sorry. Yes, Maitland Niles. Yeah, yeah Maitland Niles. Thanks, team. Um, I've got to stop writing my agenda, scrolling it around on lunchtime because I, I'm a lawyer by trade and we've got terrible handwriting and uh, I can't read my own writing. Um, he, he did actually get a second yellow card, which was never a second yellow, not to me anyway. Um, and again, that wasn't able to be looked at by VAR. So... The debate rumbles. In summary, I think the biggest problem for me is they have to get a grip on this clear and obvious error. Um, I find it incomprehensible that in 60 Premier League games, not one incorrect referee decision has been overturned, despite there being at least half a dozen very clear examples of when it should have been. And that has to be looked at very quickly. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of respect for this. Um, And actually, we're going to start, we're going to stop appreciating the good things that it's done for the game. So um, that needs to be looked at. Um, you can't what? you can't deny you can't deny Natalie that it, it's not kept up with the number of talking points in the game. They just <laughs> happen to be diff- different talking points for different reasons, right? Very true, and I think that's maybe what I was alluding to before. I think maybe there is a desire among football fans that we want to have talking points. We want to be passionate. We want to sit. This is what brings me back to the podcast every week, and has done since what 2010. So for nine years, I've been coming on the podcast every week and, and getting frustrated and happy and getting opinionated about football things. So I probably shouldn't call for for perfection in the game. Otherwise, I'll be sacked and we'll have, we won't have a show. We'll have nothing to talk about. Um, right, that's the end of um, the talking point this week. Again, as I mentioned halfway through, just send me an email, tweet me, let me know how you feel about this VAR and how is it working for you. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? A uh, quick reminder of our contact details. Our Twitter handle is at no never, and our email for the show is podcast at net. Let me know how VAR is working for you. Um, Liam, before we go, you mentioned briefly about things. What's going on with the Clarets Trust? Anything we need to know about? Um, we've got a, a, an upcoming board meeting, board meeting just before the Everton game. Uh, we've got our friends from Turf Town with the LGBT Supporters Association joining us just for observation and letting us know what they're doing. We'll be also manning the fan zone, the, the merchandising unit that you see from Burnley FC in the community at that home game. Uh, and we're looking forward to preparing for all supporters, not just uh, Claret's not just Claret's Trust members, but for all supporters, um, a fundraising uh, race night down at the KSC 110 Club in November. 
So everybody's welcome to join us for that. Look at claretstrust.co.uk to uh, to register your interest and, uh, and pay your entry fee. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, obviously, you'll be joining us in the next few weeks or so, so we'll get an update on how that went nearer the time. Um, but that's all we have time for this week. Um, it's been a feisty one. It's been a hilariously brilliant look at a fantastic win against Norwich, but then also a rant about VAR, which is the bane of our lives at the moment. Um, as ever, thank you to my panellists, the wonderful Robbie Kopak and the enigmatic Liam Hallinan. Liam, do I send your last name right? Hallinan, is that right? Yeah, you're probably one of the only people that ever do um, pronounce, my, <laughs> pronounce my last name right. We won't go into what I've been called in the past. Oh, no. <laughs> Family-friendly show, don't. Um, Liam, Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. And thank you both for your insight. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you this evening. So thanks for being here. Pleasure. Pleasure as always. Pleasure, pleasure as always. Um, our second thanks also go to producer Matt for editing um, and putting this all together. Not many outtakes this week. I think he's going to be pleased with us when he gets this to, to knit together. Um, so thanks, Matt. And um, thanks to band Joyce for our music, which they very kindly donate to the podcast Royalty Free, which is much appreciated. Thanks, Joyce. Um, but finally, thanks to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this week's podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. I will be back on Friday with the preview show with Dave Roberts, Statman Dave, to look at Villa Away. And the rest of the panel will be back next week to hopefully discuss three valuable points away at Villa Park. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Never podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.